0: Well, this is a difficult passage, as Roger said. Um, but it's part of the Bible. And actually, we need to, make, uh, to learn to make sense of it. Um, we're going to speak today for the list of this, in favor of the list of this, because that's what Jesus says that is important to him. So how should we understand Jesus' warnings of judgment in this passage. His warnings make us perplexed and concerned. His warning makes us uh, even wonder about the relationship between works works of love and faith. And it's necessary, I believe, a thorough and balanced examination on the Jesus example in terms of love and uh, works of love and faith. The, what he taught, the emphasis of the writers of the New Testament to understand what are the consequences of, of a passage like this in the Bible. If we don't see it uh, complete, we will never have a thorough understanding of what is the role of works of love in our lives. We will tend to, to, we'll tend to perpetuate that division that harms evangelicals so much uh, in which we believe that faith alone is sufficient and we know it's not sufficient. We will tend to think that the works of love are secondary in our walk and we will tend to think that if I raise my hand once in a meeting, I'm on. You see the the vessel to, to or the ship which is going to take me to heaven is right there ready and it's just because I'm somehow something slipped from God's attention that he just didn't take me right there, right at that moment, avoiding me all the, the difficulties of life. I want to challenge that by inviting you to read this very, very um, special passage. It provokes me, lots of perplexity. You see, that's the first thing I feel when I read this passage, perplexity is the first Word that comes to my mind. Because the, this passage speaks of the second coming of the Lord, but this time as the Son of Man in His glory with all the angels. And that goes into or clashes in very sharp contrast with the Jesus I am used to see, or the Jesus the disciples were used to see. The very humble king, the very humble servant who came to them uh, being born in a manger, dressing with humble clothing, not having a place to live, not using power to do anything. And now, this is the son of man in his glory, not the father's glory, his own glory, as the king upon his throne in heavenly glory. This is this time is the king. And this king has a different attitude. You know, Jesus never went out of his, uh, of his country. He never traveled beyond Judea or beyond Galilee. He never went elsewhere. He didn't e- even care to visit uh, the, the Nile River, you see, or visit other places that we know. But this time. He has all the nations on the earth assembled before him. This is a man with a very, very local life whose whose, uh, importance has made him the king upon the throne who is now as a judge, as a king in front of all nations, and they are all assembled before him. Of course, some people have tried to escape from this this passage because they think it's too terrible and we need somehow to fix this passage so that it won't affect us. For instance, say, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. This is not, uh, he's not speaking of all nations. He's just speaking of um, people who's going to be judged according how they treated Israel. You see? And and it's not really a, a, a general judgment. But there are no grounds for that. If you read the passage, you read the context, you read everywhere, you won't find grounds to think this is just a particular national judgment in which Jesus is saying, how you treated uh, Israel. No, it's not like that. So when you listen to those things, disregard them as serious. You need to go back to the passage and think, how is this? what is this, this passage? Telling, uh, showing me, or what is this passage telling to, to the church today? Because this is a king that rewards and condemns. It's not anymore the forgiving king, it's a king who has prepared in advance a reward and a punishment. See what it, it, says? Uh, it says here that uh, he's going to, to, to say to those on his right. Come, you who are blessed blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. That's amazing. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So he has all this prepared in advance. And What perplexes me even more is that the basis for his judgment to separate them will be the presence or absence of good works of love to the king himself. That is amazing. That really perplexes me because he says, for, you see, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, for I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink, for I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me." And he says he, that he's going to separate people according to the good works of love towards him, towards the king himself. And he will do the same to the others. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison, and you did not look after me was talking to an ordinance uh, of a Cambridge seminary recently. And he had it so wrong. We had a very, very interesting discussion afterwards because when he saw the passage, he says, oh, yes, this passage speaks of the ability of people to recognize Jesus in the poor. So those who recognize Je- Jesus in the poor, you see, uh, will go to heaven and those who won't, won't go to heaven. And I say, oh, it's that simple. And she says, sure. And I said, You're wrong. The passage doesn't say that. Because the passage affirms that none of them recognize him. That's what the passage says. It's not that I did it, I recognized Jesus. Jesus was actually heathen. He came into the bus asking for a little coin and he had this hood. And he was looking very bad. But they said, oh, this should be Jesus. I better take my ticket to heaven right now. Say, here, sir, 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 sir. Oh, a bill will do better. Yeah? I mean, first class to heaven. And um, But uh, is it that what the passage says? No? The passage says, when did we see you? You see, the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and and fed you or thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you? They will answer. And what did the others, uh, what would the others answer? The same. And they are going to, to say the same, Lord. When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or ill or in prison and did not help you? You know, we all tend to behave well in front of powerful figures or in front of people who invite us to be good. And of course, if we were seeing Jesus, I bet all of us would behave the best. But the passage is clearly telling us that Jesus was not evident. He was not recognized by the ones on the right and the ones on the left. And that should call our attention because then, what is is this saying? Because he's saying that he is going to separate the two groups. Now, when it about this, it makes me tremble, really shakes me. This is an extraordinary passage that provokes a lot of fear in me, a lot of scare. I lost my father um, 17 years ago, and I still miss him. And I wish I could see him today. I miss him so much. When I'm tired, when I'm exhausted, when I'm alone and I feel very bad, sometimes I just imagine that he, can, he comes when, as I, when I was a child and gets next to me, puts his arm around me and says, how are you doing son? I'm tired, I keep it up, keep it up. Can I bring you something? Want something to drink? <coughs> oh, I wish he could do that again. My father was a very 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 disciplinarian man. Very, very seldomly he expressed love. by how, how much I love him. And you know the most painful feeling in my life ever was separate, separation from him. So that separation is is a huge word for me. Huge 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 And it should be for all Christians. Because now what the Lord is going to do is not put us together. What he's going to do that day is to separate us according to this criteria. He himself will do the separation. This on the right, this on the left. And can you imagine? Because this is going to be eternal separation. This is real death. And of course, we could play with it, saying, great, I'm going to heaven. And all those who didn't uh, uh, follow Jesus are going to go to hell. I don't know how I will take it, seeing that so many people that I love won't come with me. I am working my salvation as we, we all should. I understand salvation is by faith, don't worry. I am not doing heresy here. But we all need to be aware of it. And keep faithful. So that we will stand on trail and will go on the right hand sa- side, the, the day of judgment. But at the same time, Can you you imagine being separated from those who you love? Your parents? Your children? Your beloved friends? Just because we never dared to explain to them what was all this about clearly? To give them a good warning about judgment? Because we never talked about that. Just imagine. But the passage don't stop there. Because Jesus, when he, when the, the righteous and those who were cursed ask, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or in need, ask him that he will identify himself with the needy. And he will say, what you did for the least of this, you did it for me or you didn't do it for me. Now, of course, that's, that's a very tough thing because this brings us to an apparent inconsistency. A very difficult situation. Because, And I wrote this very, very uh, carefully. I don't want to, to, to make a mistake here. I want to say this. Uh, if our justification, you see, because the, the inconsistency comes on the, on the place of justification. If our justification, that is our acceptance, acceptance with God, is by faith and faith alone, is this type of judgment not inconsistent with it? If we believe that justification is by faith, and by faith alone, is this not type of judgment by works of love inconsistent with it? I would say, no, it is not inconsistent with it, it is not. But we need to understand the whole context of Matthew to have a clear understanding of what this passage is saying. And if we have that thorough understanding, it will, will make sense. And it will illuminate the way we see our own faith. And that's very important. What is the first thing that we need to examine? Well, the way Jesus lived. The way his, he expressed his life. You know, I always trick people by asking them, hey, please tell me, um, how, how, what did Jesus do in a normal day? And most people wouldn't know. You see, they would say, oh, he was praying or he was singing or spend the whole day in the synagogue or he would basically uh, uh, think that Jesus was doing only religious activities or pious activities. And, um, and actually, Jesus was not doing that. There is a, a very uh, simple passage in the Bible uh, that repeats two times and puts and gives us a very, very uh, beautiful summary of the things that Jesus was doing over and over and over. Matthew 4, 23 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and illness among the people. So he was going, his was an ongoing ministry, A ministry that would bring God to people. People didn't have to go all the way to the temple to have God in their lives. God would come to them. Jesus was revealing a reaching out God. And God was with them going into their towns and villages. And then teaching, preaching, and healing. And as we observe what he was doing, we will realize that he cared for the whole person. He cared for their minds. He was teaching. He cared for their souls. He was preaching. And he cared for the bodies. He was healing. And news about him spread out through Syria and many other places. And people uh, will bring all their diseased and sick and uh, all type of illness to him for them to heal them. And he healed them all. And you say, well, but that he did that only one week, isn't it? Or on a special program. No, no not really. If you go... Uh, to Matthew 9, 35, two years later, you find him doing the same and the same and the same and the same. In Matthew 9, uh, 35, says, Jesus went through through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and illness. So, we see Jesus addressing the whole person with the whole gospel all the time concerned for every aspect of life aspect of life we see him doing a balanced ministry we don't see him only preaching or only teaching but also healing at the same time and what we notice in him is that his was a compassionate ministry he had compassion for all those who were suffering one of the best things that happened to me ever was that, I, that John Stott wrote a book named Basic Christianity and through that I became a Christian when I was 13. But when I was 17, I was absolutely fed up with the church that I had, I had joined. And I was fed up because that church specialized in contention and, and in containing people and not in action. You see? Their main, their main message for the youth was, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And they spoke a lot about, about sexual matters on guilt basis. So the, their, their main message was to put guilt on us, not to do things that were evil or bad or, or they didn't like. Now, I was in this camp. I was 17. But I guess for time 7,242 You see, time, they were going to speak about sex again and what we should not do, the youth. And would never speak on what we could do or should do, you see. So it was all about becoming a don't be like that Christian. And not Christian. And no Christian. And I hated it. I was bored, absolutely bored. And I was 17, so when I heard who was going to be the preacher and said, oh boy, he's going to speak of the same old thing. And when I thought uh, this is going to get really boring and it's all about singing, sitting, uh, uh, I mean standing and listening to the same old message, I better go. So I put up all my things in my back sack, put it on and left the place. And when I was at the gate of this camp in the woods, there was one of the leaders at the door and says, "Oh, are you leaving?" And I said, "Yes, and this time is for good." And he says, "Why are you so angry?" And I said, "Why are you so boring?" <laughs> mm-hmm. And he says, "Well, I mean, this is not boring. we are doing that we are speaking of the themes that the youth like." and I said." The youth you have in your imagination, because the, the only thing you, 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 you may think of the youth today is that we have sex, we have our minds full of sex. No, we need action. We need to do something. If I come to church, it's because he recruited me into his faith army, and I want to be in action. Do you understand? I want to see Jesus walking alongside the needy. I want to see Jesus reproducing bread and 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 reproducing food. I want to see Jesus healing through his disciples, and we're his disciples. And the only thing we do is uh, mellow things, you see, and speak. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't get across the the, the stoplight. Don't be late at church. Okay. Don't be late at your things. Don't 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 don't. Come on. What is this all about? Is this. Oh boy. um You're right, but we have a duty with 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 the Jews. And I said, I better go. And he says, well, if you go, I won't let you see this book. And he had a lo- another little book. The book was named "Walk," Walking on His Shoes. Oh. It said, John, stop. It. And he let me see it. Please. It was in English. And he says, and I have a dictionary. And I said, please, let me read it. No way. Unless you sit in the back, you put the book inside of your Bible, and you pretend that you're participating. Well, corruption exists everywhere. (laughs) And I said so. And I went and did it. The book really touched me because it spoke about Jesus' compassion one of the things that John Stott invited me to do was to go all through the Gospels to see whenever Jesus had compassion on people, when he had seen something that provoked his compassion. And John Stott said, examine these passages, and you will see how a pattern of behavior from Jesus emerges. And you will see how, when he sees the need, He lets his heart feel, and then he puts his hands into action. He has a perfect, he shows a perfect balance between his eyes, his heart, and his hands. And that's a calling for today. We need to do the same if we're going to follow the same Jesus. Let our eyes see the need. Let our hearts feel compassion for them, and then put our hands into action. Wow! I stopped criticizing my church, I decided let's, I I better recruit others and better invite others to do the same, it's important. But you see, that was the kind of example of Jesus. Now, what did he teach? What was his teaching? You see, Jesus didn't have only with his uh, example. In his teaching, in the Sermon on the Mount, you will find passages uh, like in Matthew 5.7 that says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your, sh- your shine light before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Or in Luke 6:27b, it says, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So that's the kind of teaching. That uh, Jesus had. How can we summarize? Well, we can say three things at least. First, Jesus' works and words constituted a single ministry. These were not two different things. He lived the way He spoke, and He spoke the way He lived. His works were mainly works of compassion, not only to demonstrate that the devil had fallen and that the kingdom was entering. And compassion was the main motivation for his work. That's why we are saved out of compassion, out of his compassion. Well, where does this passage brings us? To the question again. If our justification is by faith and faith only, then what do do we do with all these works of love? Well, the only piece we need is to ask ourselves, What did the writers of the New Testament would say about it? And let me give you three examples. First, in James 2.17, it says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith alone is dead. Another example, Galatians five. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. Wow. Or 1 John three seventeen, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has not pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? So even sharing the word of God, it doesn't exhaust our responsibilities in front of a needy person if we have the material goods. And we have education, we have houses, we have money, we have knowledge, we have family, we have resources, we have cars, we have so many things to share. We have them. And what, what is what we need then? To understand how we will put all this together. So I will come to this conclusion. And I would say that although our justification is by faith only, our judgment will be on the basis of good works of love, because they express our faith. You see what, I, what I'm saying? Good works of love, the clothing to the needy, the water to the needy, the food to the needy, the visiting to the needy, the attention to the lonely, are nothing but expressions of our true faith. If we have a healthy, saving, biblical-based faith, our faith will be expressed through love, through acts of love. So when Jesus is basically separating people from one another, he's separating them on the grounds of the evidence of their faith. You see what I mean? It's because they have faith. They obeyed him. It's because they had faith, they learned to love. Him. It's because they had faith, they practiced love to the needy. And that faith is the one that is justifying them. Now, what shall we do? We need to seize the opportunities to do good. Because our works of love express our faith and our love to the Lord. We need to practice law. We need to get well informed. We need to understand who are the poor and the needy in contemporary terms. We need to understand what poverty is today and not just practice shallow definitions of poverty. We need to take a stand and a stance towards this, the least of this. We need to care for the children who are in problems today in the world. We need to pray and participate in all the missions that the church is involved because those are excellent opportunities that the church has for everyone in the church to get into the practice of acts of love. And they need to become a very continuous thing. We need to give. And when we give, give with thanksgiving. Saying, Lord, what a great opportunity you give me today to practice the love you put in my heart. May the Lord bless us all. Thank you.